Our topic for tonight, the seal of God and the mark of the beast. Tonight, we turn our attention to one of the most, probably the most solemn topics and the most solemn warning in the entire Bible. The warning about the beast, the warning about the mark of the beast is one of the most solemn warnings that is sent to the world at end time. We find this warning as one in a threefold warning that God sends to the world at end time. We'll read about it from Revelation 14, 6 through 10. Starting with verses, verse 6, it says, mark it down, Revelation 14, 6 through 10. You could actually put 6 through 12. I, and I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. And to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, here's a message going to the whole world, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and, what's the word? Worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Second angel's message, verse 8, and there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. We'll study about Babylon on Sunday night. And then the third angel's message, the one about the beast that has the mark, says, and the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if any man worship worship the beast and his image and receive his Mark. mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Revelation 15, 1 tells us the wine of God's wrath. That's the plagues, the seven last plagues. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. That's the most fearful warning probably in the entire Bible. And we notice right away that the central issue is the issue of worship. And the first angel says, worship the creator, while the third angel warns us, do not worship the beast. The highest form of worship is obedience. That's why Revelation 14 verse 12 says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Evidently... Those who keep all the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus will not worship the beast or receive his mark at end time. We'll see that in our study tonight. Revelation presents two groups and two marks. One group worships the Creator and receives the seal of God, Revelation 14, 7. The other group worships the beast and receives the mark of the beast, Revelation 14, 9, and ultimately the whole world is going to be in one of these two groups. We'll either be in God's group or we're going to be in the group with the beast. And here's what's amazing. Most of the world will receive the mark of the beast. The Bible tells us that. Let's notice that from Revelation 13, verse 16 and verse 8. If you're marking notes, taking notes, mark those texts. Revelation 13, 16 says, And he causeth how much? All. All. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. Now verse 8. And how many? 
All that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And then in verse 3, how much of the world wanders after the beast? All. All the world wanders after the beast. And the question is why? Why, since God sent such a solemn warning at end time, do not worship the beast, why would the whole world go ahead and do it anyway? Well, son, there are two reasons why. And for those of you taking notes, you can mark these. First reason is deception. Almost the whole world is deceived about what will happen at end time, deceived about prophecy at end time. Most of the world is looking for the Antichrist to be an evil man that comes way down at end time. And some Christians say, well, the saints are not even here anyway. They all got raptured out of the world. We found out that's not true. Much of the world is deceived about prophecy at end time. But there's a second reason why almost the whole world is going to receive the mark of the beast. The second reason is pressure. There will be tremendous pressure brought to bear upon the inhabitants of the world to receive the mark of the beast. Let's notice the pressure. Revelation 13, 16, and 17 says, And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. What is that? That is economic boycott. If you don't have the mark of the beast, you will not be able to buy, you won't be able to sell. Economic boycott. We use economic boycott even today to force nations or to force people into compliance with what we think is right. At end time, if you don't have the mark of the beast, you can't buy, you can't sell. And if that doesn't force the whole world to receive the mark, the pressure will get even greater. Revelation 13, verse 15 tells us, And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause, that as many as would not worship, the image of the beast should be what? Killed. Killed. What is that? That is a death decree. Evidently, at end time, those who will not worship the beast and receive his mark will ultimately be threatened with death. Can you see the pressure? God on one side says, if you worship the beast and receive his mark, I'm going to pour out my wrath on you, the seven last plagues, and you will go to hell. And the beast on the other side says, if you don't worship me and receive my mark, you won't be able to buy or sell and we'll kill you. You see the pressure? God on one side says, you're going to be lost if you worship the beast. The beast on the other side says, you're gonna, we're going to kill you if you don't receive our mark. That kind of pressure is going to bring the whole world to the greatest crisis of all time. And we're going to see tonight, we're very close to that great crisis. What is the mark of the beast? That's the question we want to answer in our study tonight. But what the mark of the beast is and how it will be enforced are two separate issues. Tonight we want to look at what the mark of the beast is. Time will tell us how the mark of the beast will be enforced. What is the mark of the beast? Well, son, the mark of the beast is actually a counterfeit to God's mark. Did you know that God has a mark? It's called a seal. Let's read about God's mark from Revelation 7, verses 2 and 3. Revelation 7, verses 2 and 3. Write that down. 
The Bible says, And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Where does the seal of God go? Forehead. In the forehead. Now, is this going to be a literal thing? We know Revelation is full of symbols. Is God going to come down with a divine branding iron or a divine stamp and seal the saints' foreheads? No. What do we do in our foreheads? Where we think. That's where we make moral choices, decisions. Frontal lobe. So the seal of God in the forehead represents a decision, a choice. I will obey God even if I can't buy or sell. Even if they kill me, I am going to obey God. God is first in my life. Seek ye first, Jesus said. But the mark of the beast can also go in the forehead. And these two marks are in competition. They're in opposition. Since the seal of God is not an implant... Do you think that the mark of the beast is going to be an implant? No. This whole idea of implants is a big decoy, a big diversion from the real issue. You're never going to get the whole world to receive some kind of implant in their forehead or in their hand. There's far too many people say, no way. They're not going to put a computer chip in me. The mark of the beast is a whole lot easier to receive. We're going to find out tonight that almost the whole world is going to receive the mark of the beast and not even know they have it. Since the seal of God is not a literal implant, we know the mark of the beast is also not a literal implant. The forehead represents belief. The hand represents... Outward compliance. The seal of God only goes in the forehead. God is not going to accept mere outward compliance. It's got to come from the heart. But the mark of the beast can either go in the forehead or it can go in the hand. There will be no no doubt people at end time, they don't believe in the beast. They don't believe in his mark, but they don't want to be threatened with death. They want to be able to buy and sell. So they say, okay, I'll do it. God's mark only goes in the forehead. The mark of the beast can go either in the forehead or in the hand. Now, the seal of God and the mark of the beast are not literal marks or implants in our foreheads or hands. We'll see that in our study this evening. Now, God's seal, it stands in contrast to the beast's mark. So, for us to understand what is the mark of the beast, we should first understand what is the seal of God. The mark of the beast is a counterfeit to the seal of God. So if we can identify what God's seal is, it will help us to know what the mark of the beast is. What's a seal? Well, a seal authenticates a legal document. Every official document has to have the official seal. Every law has to have that official seal. A law with no seal is what? It's not binding. It's void. And I should mention that if you cut the seal out of a law, you are effectively nullifying the law. You're showing your contempt for the law and for the lawgiver. Every lawgiver has their official seal. A seal contains three things. What are they, son? Well, a seal contains the name of the authority of the lawgiver, his title, his position, and his territory. That's what a seal contains. 
Let's take, for example, the president of the Philippines. What is his name? Nikno Aquino III. What is his title? President. president. What is his territory? Philippines. Every seal has those three things. A notary public has the three things of a seal. The name of the notary, their office as notary, and the area where they can officiate as notary. Every seal has those three things, which brings us to this question. Is God's seal connected with his legal document, his law? We know God has a law. We know God has a seal. Is God's seal connected to his law? Well, before we answer that, let's answer another question. What gives a person the authority to have a seal? For example, again, Mr. Aquino, what gives him the authority to have a seal? To sign laws into action. Well, his position, the fact that he is president, gives him authority to sign laws into action. Since God has a seal, what is God's position by virtue of which he claims authority over the whole world? He is, is the creator. All through the Bible, God points us to this fact. Let's read a text from Revelation 4, verse 11. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created. So the Bible points us to the fact that God created all things as the reason why he is worthy of our worship. Here's another text. This is Revelation 14, 7. It says, worship him that what? Made. Made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. If you like an extra text, put in your notes Jeremiah 10, 10 through 12. All through the Bible, God points us to the fact that he's the creator as the reason why he has authority in the world. Well, after creating everything... After God created the world, what did God set up? What sign, what memorial did God set up to remind us of creation? Well, let's go all the way back to the beginning. Genesis 2, 1 to 3. The Bible says, Genesis 2, 1 to 3, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, six literal days. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. So the Sabbath then is a memorial of creation. Doesn't have anything to do with the Jews. It is to remind us of our origins, of God our creator. Every week that Sabbath travels around the world. It comes to every country. It comes to every city. It comes to every barangay, every person, as a reminder that God is the only one worthy of our worship. And when we choose to keep the Sabbath holy, we're showing our neighborhood, we're showing our family, we're showing our community, and we're showing the onlooking universe that we acknowledge that God is the only one rightful one worthy of our worship. We're showing that we are loyal to God, we're obedient to God. That's what we show when we choose to keep the Sabbath. But that brings us back to our question, son. Is God's seal connected with his legal document, his law? Oh, yes. God's seal is in the heart of his law, in the center of his law. Has the three elements of a seal, his name, his title, and his territory. 
Which one of the Ten Commandments do you think contains God's seal? It would, of course, be the fourth commandment. Let's go read it and see if we can note there the three elements of a seal. God's name, his title, and his territory. Exodus 20, 8 through 11. God said, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the, the who? Lord thy God. The Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord, what? Made. Made or created. Made, what made what? Heaven and earth. Heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So did you see those three things of a seal? What is God's name? Lord thy God, Isaiah 42, 8. The Bible says, the Lord is my name. What is his title? He's the maker or the... Creator. And what is his territory? Heaven and earth. Heaven and earth. It's as if God signs his name to his law. Without this commandment, any God could say, this is my law. Buddha could say, this is my law. Don't have any gods before Buddha. But when you have this fourth commandment, God identifies himself as the only one who meets the description as the creator God. We have discovered God's seal right here in the heart of his law. It has the three elements of the seal, name, title, territory. But now question, what happens when you take the seal out of a law? You nullify the law. And you're showing your contempt for the lawgiver, the law and the lawgiver. Can you begin to see why so many Christian preachers today are saying we don't need to keep the law of God? They've taken the seal, the Sabbath, out of God's law. When you take away the seal, you have nullified, you've abolished the law. And that's why there's so much lawlessness in Christian countries. America, a Christian nation, has some of the highest crime rates in the world. Christian nation, why? Because Americans, preachers, have taken the seal, the Sabbath, out of God's law, and as a result, they're saying, oh, we don't have to keep God's law. And we have an epidemic of lawlessness as a result. So here we see the Sabbath is the seal of God, has the name, the title, and the territory of God in it. It's connected to God's law. And shows God's authority. Something else very interesting. The word Sabbath itself in Hebrew means sign or seal of the Father or of God. So even Sabbath means seal of God. So the Sabbath, it's in the law, yes. It's in the heart of the law, the center of the law. But where else does God want to put the Sabbath? Well, he wants to put it in our forehead. He wants us to make a decision to keep it holy. That's why a spirit-filled Christian, a spirit-filled Christian who has the fruits of the Spirit, is led by the Spirit, and he is keeping the seventh-day Sabbath holy, truly has the seal of God. And we hope you've made that decision, received that seal in your forehead. That's a choice. 
But that brings us back, son, to the question, what is the mark of the beast? Does the mark of the beast also have something to do with God's law? Yes, it does. Let's go back to the third angel's message and read verse 9. The third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, and then you can read on down verses 10 and 11, are the punishment of those who worship the beast and his image. And then in contrast, verse 12 says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. It almost seems like John, on one side, he sees much of the world worshiping the beast, receiving its mark. And John gives the warning, don't worship the beast, don't receive his mark. And then it almost seems like John turns and he says, well, here, here are the saints. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God. Evidently, those that receive the mark of the beast are not doing what? Well, they're not keeping the law of God. They're not keeping what? If they were keeping the commandments of God, then which group would they be among? Saints. They would be among the saints. That's why we mentioned earlier, those that keep all the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus will not worship the beast or receive his mark at end time. So we can see here the seal of God and the mark of the beast. They both have to do with God's law. They both have to do with worship. They both have to do with loyalty. But what exactly is the mark of the beast? We haven't yet answered that. Well, before we can answer that question, son, we first need to answer who's the beast? Who is the beast? Here is a Christian book entitled, The Mark. And if you look carefully, the subtitle says, The Beast Rules the World. Well, who's the beast? The reason why almost no Christian today knows what the mark of the beast is is because nobody really knows who the beast is. If I don't know who the beast is, how can I know whether or not I have the mark of the beast? Before I can identify what the mark of the beast is, I have to figure out who's the beast. We were studying about the beast already, weren't we? We learned the descriptions of this animal, Revelation 13, 1 through 3. This is not a literal animal. It's a symbolism. Let's review. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns. And upon his head's the name of blasphemy. What came out of the sea? A beast. Not a computer? No. A credit card? It's a beast. Revelation 13, 1 through 3, verse 2 says, And the beast I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, bear and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, lion and the dragon. dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. How much? All the world. So the whole world is involved with this issue. Well, the question, son, is who is this beast? Well, we know that this beast is a symbol of the Antichrist. But we've learned that a beast in prophecy represents what? Kingdom. We read that, Daniel 7, 23 and verse 17. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth what? The fourth kingdom upon earth. So this beast has to be some kingdom. We saw yesterday that the little horn of Daniel 7 and the beast of Revelation 13 
Both symbolize the same system. In Daniel 7, we have a little horn or a little kingdom. In Revelation 13, we have a religious kingdom because the Bible says all the world worships this beast. When you put those two together, little kingdom, religious kingdom, what do you have? You have a little religious kingdom. And chapter 13, Revelation chapter 13, indicates that this little religious kingdom would be based in the city of Rome. That's pretty obvious what God is identifying here. There's only one little religious kingdom based in Rome, and that is the Vatican kingdom. Again, we're not talking about Catholic people tonight. Yes, there are many wonderful Catholic saints that will no doubt be in heaven. We're looking at a kingdom here. We found some identifying marks of this kingdom, didn't we? Yes, we did. Number one, among the ten over there in Western Europe. That fits Vatican. Number two, it would come up after 476. And we saw that yesterday that the Vatican came to power in 538 A.D. And then number three, it would be a little horn or a little kingdom. And, of course, the Vatican is the world's smallest independent kingdom. Number four, it would uproot three, and we know from history those three, they were the Heruli, the Vandals, and the Ostrogoths. Those three were uprooted because they refused to acknowledge the supremacy of the Bishop of Rome, so they were overthrown. And then number five, it has a human leader, which we saw was the Pope. Number six, it would be different from all the other kingdoms there in Europe, and indeed, Vatican is the only kingdom in Europe where a church dictates the policies of the state. And then number seven, it would blaspheme. And we saw how that blasphemy is when a man makes himself God on earth or claims to forgive us of our sins. We saw how that the Pope indeed does claim to be God on earth, and both the Pope and the priest claim to forgive us of our sins. John 10, 33, Luke 5, 21. We also saw that this power would be a persecuting power, prophecy said. And the Church of Rome itself estimates it put 50 million people to death during the Dark Ages. That's their own estimate. Protestants say the number's up around 200 million. So number eight fits. And number nine, it would change God's law. We saw how that the second commandment was removed, the fourth commandment was changed, and the tenth commandment was divided. So indeed, yes, change God's law. Number 10 would rule for 1,260 years, starting in 538. 1,260 years brings you down to 1798. That's when the French went into Rome, took the Pope exile. He died in exile in Valence, France. They abolished the papal government, 1798. And then number 11, based in Rome, and that, of course, is obvious. We added a 12th clue last night, and that is the number 666. And we want to remind you again that the mark of the beast is not 666. 666 is the number of the beast, not the mark of the beast. Let's go read about that from Revelation 13, verse 17. This is a bit of review from yesterday. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark. Or the name of the beast. Or the number of his name. So you see, those three things are different. Here is wisdom. This is Revelation 13, 18. Here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 600, three score, and six, 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 six. So it is the number of a man, the Bible says, but it's also the number of the beast. 
And then verse 17 says it's the number of his name. When you put those together, what do you have? It is the number of his name. It's the number of a man. And it's the number of the beast. So? Be the number of the name of the man at the head of the beast power. We looked at that last night. We, of course, know that there is a man at the head of the beast power. That's the Pope. And he does have an official name. His official name is Vicarious Philly Day. That's his official title. And, and the Bible said we would have to count the number. So it wouldn't be written somewhere. We'd have to do some counting. We did that yesterday. We counted up the numerical value of the letters in his official title, Vicarious Filii Day, and it added up to... 666. 666. I believe that's in your lesson tonight. So you have that. You have the documentation for that. All 12 points fit the Vatican kingdom. Again, we're not talking about Catholic people, Catholic saints. We're talking about a kingdom tonight. Now that we know who the kingdom is... It's not that hard to find out what is the mark of the beast now that we know what the beast is. What is the mark of the beast? All we have to do is go to the kingdom, go to the Vatican and say, what is your mark of authority? We've already discovered that the Sabbath is God's sign of authority. So, the mark of the beast must be the sign of the beast or of the papacy's authority. What is it? Well, you probably have guessed it, but we're going to prove it tonight. Like going back to our list, number nine, changed God's law. That was prophesied in Daniel 7, verse 25, where it says the little horn, which we found out is a symbol of this power, the little horn would think to change times and laws. We know nobody can truly change God's law, but this power would think to change times and laws. And in the original language, it actually reads this way, that he would think to change time in the law. Where in the law? Well, there's only one commandment that deals with time, and that is the fourth commandment where it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. That's God's time. That's holy time. And the prophecy said that this little horn power, the symbol, symbolic of the Vatican kingdom, would think to change time in the law or change the Sabbath. Did it happen? Yes. Here it is, right out of the Converts Catechism of Catholic Doctrine. Question, which day, which is the Sabbath day? Roman Catholic answer, Saturday is the Sabbath day. Question, why do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Here's the answer right out of the catechism. Because the Catholic Church transferred solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. There is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Daniel 7, verse 25. Here is another statement. The Catholic Church designated Sunday as the day for corporate worship and gets full credit or blame for the change. What's the word? Change. change. The Bible said that he would think to change time in the law. And the Church of Rome says, yeah, we did. We changed it. Here's a statement from a Catholic priest in the St. Catherine Catholic Church Sentinel Magazine, 1995, who said perhaps the boldest thing, the most revolutionary change the church, Church of Rome, ever did happen in the first century. The holy day, the Sabbath, was changed. changed, not from any directions noted in the scriptures, 
but from the church's sense of its own power. People who think that the Scripture should be the sole authority should logically become Seventh-day Adventists and keep Saturday holy. That's what that priest said. Here's another priest. This is from Father Enright, president of Redemptorist College. He said, I repeatedly offered $1,000 to anyone who can prove to me from the Bible alone that I am bound to keep Sunday holy. There is no such law in the Bible. It is the law of the Holy Catholic Church alone. The Bible says, remember that thou keep holy the Sabbath day. The Catholic Church says, no. By my divine power, I abolish the Sabbath day and command you to keep holy the first day of the week. And lo, the entire civilized world bows down in reverent obedience to the command of the Holy Catholic Church. That's pretty amazing. There you have the fulfillment of Revelation 13, 3. All the world will wander after this system. And this Catholic priest says, look, the Bible says to keep the Sabbath. The Church of Rome says, no. We abolish the Sabbath. We command you to keep Sunday. And he says, look, the whole world is bowing down in obedience to our command. Here is a statement from a Baptist. This is Dr. Edward T. Hiscox, author of the original Baptist Manual. He said, there was and is a commandment to keep holy the Sabbath day, but that Sabbath day was not Sunday. It will be said, however, and with some show of triumph, that the Sabbath was transferred from the seventh to the first day of the week. Where can the record of such a transaction be found? Not in the New Testament. Absolutely not. Of course, I quite well know that Sunday did come into use in early Christian history as a religious day, as we learn from the Christian fathers and other sources. But what a pity that it comes branded with the mark of paganism and christened with the name of the sun god when adopted and sanctioned by the papal apostasy and bequeathed as a sacred legacy to protestantism that's an interesting word there mark what specifically is the mark of the beast well the mark of the beast must be the sign of the roman church's authority what is it here's a statement from rome of course, the Catholic Church claims that the change was her act. That's changing Sabbath to Sunday. <coughs> Excuse me. And the act is a, a what? Mark. A mark of her ecclesiastical power and authority in religious matters. So this Catholic author says that change from Saturday to Sunday, that is the mark of her power and authority. What is the mark of the beast? Well, what, it, what is a beast? What's the beast represent? Kingdom. Beast represents a kingdom. a kingdom. And we've already identified the beast of Revelation 13, a symbol of the Vatican kingdom. And here this kingdom says we change God's law. Here is a statement. Here it says, this is from June 1, 2012. This is from Cardinal Sean O'Malley. He said, The Cardinal stressed how the way in which we celebrate Sunday determines the way in which we live the rest of the week since it is the mark of Christian identity. What is it? Mark. Sunday is the what? The mark of Christian identity. <clears throat> Notice, does anybody have the mark of the beast today? No. 
You might be thinking, does that mean that if I keep Sunday holy that I have the mark of the beast? No. No one will receive the mark of the beast until religious legislation is passed enforcing Sunday observance. And I've had people say, I don't think it'll ever happen. Well, do do you want to wait and see? People say, well, I'll wait and see and then I'll decide which day I want to keep holy. If we don't have the moral courage now to make a decision to obey God, what makes us think we'll have the courage when the pressure is brought on and you can't buy, you can't sell, maybe you're threatened with death? We'll continue doing then what we're already doing. We're keeping the Sabbath. God will give us the strength to continue. We're keeping Sunday. We know it's not the Sabbath. Then when the pressure is brought on, we'll probably continue doing what we're already doing. Are people already facing this kind of challenge, son? Well, they are, even today. Some people, if they choose to keep the Sabbath, they lose their job. No job, you have no money, you can't buy. (laughs) Nobody will hire you if you won't keep the Sabbath. Can't sell your services to anyone. There are some people that are already facing this challenge, this test. But here's our next question. Will religious legislation one day be passed enforcing Sunday observance? What do you think? Yes. The answer is yes. In fact, in some places, it's already happening. Let me show you a statement written by, well, retired Pope Benedict. He said... This was all the way back in 1998. He wrote this letter. It was Pope John Paul that published it to the world. But the author was Cardinal Ratzinger, who is now the retired pope, who said, Therefore, also in the particular circumstances of our own time, Christians will naturally strive to ensure that, what? Civil legislation, that's laws, respects their duty to keep Sunday holy. So the Pope is calling for laws regarding Sunday. Here is another news article. This was back in 2008. Sunday shopping banned in Croatia. That's, of course, there in Europe. It says here, Croatian shops to be closed on Sundays as of January 1 in concession to the Catholic Church. So in some places it's already happening. Here's in Germany. German court enforces day of rest, bans Sunday shopping. That was 2009. Now let me bring you to a more recent one. This is 2014, December 16th, so just three months ago or so. Two months. Sunday closure in Hungary. Hungarian government passes the Sunday closure bill initiated by Christian Democrats. That was December 2014. On Tuesday, representatives in Hungary passed a controversial Sunday shopping ban affecting large-sized retailers initiated by the Christian Democrats. We have friends that are in business in Hungary, and they said, this is amazing. If you own a business, you can't buy or sell on Sunday. Hungary. Here is a news clipping from America, CBS News. Now, this was back in 2009, but I thought it was interesting what it said. A History of Sunday. In the article, it describes this lady who wrote a book, writer Judith Shulevitz. She says, in a world of 24-7 commerce, she's pushing for a return to 
laws that would shut down businesses one day a week. What day do you suppose that might be? Sunday. Which brings us back to the Puritans of the 1630s. Their measures may now seem extreme. What were their measures? Sunday observance was required on pain of death in Puritan America, the 1630s. But, now notice, this is what the news says, CBS News. But what if they were actually on to something? Maybe that wasn't such a bad idea. We need to put some teeth into this law so nobody works on Sunday. You want to work? Well, we'll just get rid of you. <laughs> Here is another interesting statement. This is more recently also, July 6, 2014. This was from Catholic Online, Catholic website. It says, never on a Sunday. Pope Francis says working on Sunday has negative effect on families. The full commercialization of Sunday from business being open to people working on what is biblically to be a day of rest, has Pope Francis in lamentation. Oh, now wait a minute, son. Is it biblically to keep Sunday? Well, there's no text in the Bible to keep where's, Sunday holy. Where's the proof for that in the Bible? Not uh, there. We, we could offer a million dollars. Nobody's collected. Where, where's the proof? There is no proof. Reading on. The abandoning of the traditionally Christian practice of not working on Sundays has a negative impact on families and friendships, he says. Maybe it's time to ask ourselves if working on Sunday is true freedom. Can you begin to see where we're headed in society? We are going to face this test in the near future. And when it's enforced by law, then you have to decide who to obey. And the issue is much more than a day. The issue is the master, the Lord of the day. Jesus Christ or Antichrist, the commandments of God or the commandments of man. The day we choose to keep holy, that is an indication of who we love, who we are loyal to, who we will obey. Implants. You'll never get the whole world to receive implants. But when Sunday is enforced by law, which is already starting to happen in some places, those who believe in keeping Sunday holy, they get the mark where? Forehead. They get it in the forehead. Those that are willing to comply, they get the mark where? Hand. They get it in the hand. There will be people, no doubt, that don't even believe in Christ, don't even believe in God, but they're willing to do it so that they can still buy and sell. They get the mark in the hand, outward compliance. The world is going to be tested on this. Very soon, it's going to happen. God calls us to remember the Sabbath. This is Exodus 28, the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. And what did Jesus say? If you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. John 14, 15. Do you love Jesus? There will be a group of saints one day who love Jesus enough to keep all of his commandments. Revelation 15, verse 2, John says, And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. This must be in heaven, the victorious saints. I want to be in that group, don't you? You can be, but we have to choose 
Who, which will you receive? Seal of God, the Sabbath, or the mark of the beast Sunday when it's enforced by law? The choice is really who will you obey? Man's commandments, Rome's commandments, or God's commandments? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.